I'll tell you, I worked on Reagan's re-election in 84. He told me that the, he told me the people had made their decision, and therefore, we were all Americans, we'd go forward together. And then I worked in Bush's election, at George Herbert Walker Bush, the, the older guy, in 88. There are a lot of great stories in politics about the underdog winning, and this is going to be one of them. I did not work again on a presidential campaign until, if you can believe it, 2012. I have just called President Obama when I worked on Romney. To congratulate him on his victory. So my record's two and one. The, the great thing about sound and political advertising is that it actually, it began with radio, naturally, and it began with FDR. My countrymen and my friends. Uh, Tonight, my single duty is to speak to the whole of America. I, had hoped uh, I said, though, that some uh, voice work was tremendously important. And there were candidates who actually thought they had a horrible voice. We live in a peaceful, prosperous time. And in some cases, they were correct. For a new breeze is blowing. Like uh, Bush Sr. For in man's heart. He thought he had a, a, a weak voice. If not, in fact, the day of the dictator is over. And he did. And of course, Reagan, you never asked him about his voice. The guy was a superstar in, in the movies and, and, and in television as a stand-up guy. And, you know, he had a voice that was clearly professional and been president of the Screen Actors Guild. So he was fine. I just want to... Oh, I can't resist. I'm supposed to quit right here. But, oh yes... But in view, in view of the fast things that I just said, I don't know whether you know it or not, but I have a new hobby. I am collecting stories that I can actually prove are told among the Russian people. They make them up themselves, they tell them between themselves, reveals they've got a great sense of humor, and they've also got a little cynical attitude about things in their country. When it came to doing advertising, actual commercials, Finished commercials. The kind of commercials that lay out your position and help people decide whether to vote for you or not in 1984 and 1988. They were researched very cursorily. That is to say, they were exposed to focus groups. And that was it. So here you got nine or ten people around the table. People who probably couldn't wait to get out of there. Groups that uh, Roger Ailes, the famous uh, political strategist who ended up running Fox News, said. You go to a mall, you get 12 people who need $40 and somebody to talk to. And then you try to get them to explain how to do your job. That strikes me as pathetic. But focus groups are, were principally used as a, as a checkpoint. A very lo-fi, unconvincing way of testing political campaigns. Hello, and welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. I'm Scott Simonelli, and that was Tom Messner, who helped cement Reagan and Bush Sr. as the 40th and 41st presidents of the United States. Today, we're exploring sound and political advertising. me a whole bunch of colorful country-looking characters all sitting around listening to lonesome roads sound off about everything from the price of popcorn to the hydrogen bomb i'm not just an entertainer i'm an influence a wielder of opinion a force a force that was lonesome roads 
the anti-hero in Elia Kazan's 1957 film, A Face in the Crowd, who capitalized on the newly invented TV and radio to fuel his rise to political fame. More than just the words he spoke, his charisma, his tone, the way he sounded moved people. And this has been true throughout history. Fast forward 50 years, and the playing field is very different. But the question we'll be exploring is how do politicians, campaign managers, their agencies, and others think about leveraging the right voices, music, and other sounds to create the impact on the electorate that they're looking for? What I think was undeniable about President Obama is he very much knew who he was um, and understood uh, why he was running. Hello, Chicago! This is Lenny Stern, political strategist and founder of SSK, the youth agency for Obama's 2008 and 2012 campaign. And where he thought he could contribute to a dialogue that was important for our it's country. The answer told by lines that stretched around schools and churches. And I think that authenticity, the numbers this nation has never seen, which does get conveyed by voice and presence. Because they believed that this time must be different. Um, in his speeches, in his one-on-one um, -on -one interactions, in his interviews, um, uh, was a very defining quality about what made him so intriguing to people and ultimately inspiring and motivating to people. Americans who sent a message to the world that we have never been just a collection of individuals or a collection of red states and blue states. We are and always will be the United States of America. Emotion is at the heart of uh, human motivation. Sometimes you motivate people through facts. Sometimes you motivate people through data. Sometimes you motivate them through sound, sometimes sight. I mean, one of the most famous ads of all time was only run once, and that's the Daisy ad, done by a very famous audiophile named Tony Schwartz. And it's the Daisy ad where you hear a little girl, you know, you see the little girl picking a daisy and you hear counting 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. It's all sound and it's emotion and you close your eyes, you open your eyes, you watch it, you see it. And that's a one motivating thing. But in, in today's day and age, I would argue that audio design, data, platforms, where you get the information, who gives it to you? Is it your friend? Is it passed on? What does it come from? All of those things are contributing to people's emotional triggers that motivate them. And I kind of feel that there's no one way and there's no, uh, it's more about audio, it's more about design, it's all of those things. And you have to understand them all and understand your audience and then figure out the proper way to engage that. And what about research? How important was it? Well, I think research was always important. You're constantly testing ideas and testing, um, uh, you know, tactics. And sound is always a part of it. Um, when you use one piece of music versus another, when you use one voiceover versus another, uh, you know, you can often find 
different results. <clears throat> so a story is full of multiple elements. I think that, um, you know, research is an art and a science. You have to use it as a tool. And I think what we try to do, always evaluate all the elements. And sometimes you are testing the same thing with different voice tracks, different sound effects. You definitively get different emotions out of it. But it, 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 there, it, it's like a stew. There are many ingredients and you're constantly tasting it as it's cooking a little more of this, a little less of that. It's very hard to isolate each individual one without also understanding the interconnectivity of the others. And I would say today, more than ever, there is that interconnection between sight, sound, platform, messenger, and all of those things have to be carefully looked at as they connect to each other versus in a silo. What about the different platforms and channels you used? Interestingly, radio, uh, old school radio was a, was a way of also bringing to life uh, young people's voices where they just told stories about why they were voting. I'm voting because... Because the economy stinks. My brother is in the military and I want to protect him. Because the future won't run on oil. My minimum wage is only filling my gas tank half the way. I'm voting... Because we can't afford four more years. We use their own words in radio advertising to authentically bring to life the feelings they were having. And we use how they receive information through art and design as a way to bring to life their hopes, dreams, aspirations, and frustrations. I'm Barack Obama, and I approve this message because whatever your reason, you need to register in order to vote. Get everything that you need to register and vote at voteforchange.com. That was very, very different than ever done before. Um, the influencer voices that mattered to them to help bring to life their uh, the key issues. And we, Lena Dunham was um, sort of a voice of a generation at the time. Your first time shouldn't be with just anybody. You want to do it with a great guy. And we used her and talked about um, uh, equating the first time voting to the first time uh, having sex. You want to do it with a guy who brought the troops out of Iraq. You don't want a guy who says, oh, hey, I'm at the library studying, when really he's out not signing the Lily Ledbetter Act. Or who and that use that analogy to bring to life a very powerful way to motivate people to vote. So in both elections, we found unique ways that young people engage and felt comfortable connecting with. And we um, made that the platform and the avenue for us. Much of our early work was around this idea of don't get mad, get registered. And if you look at the work, you would hardly see Obama's name on it because the first step was to engage people around what they were feeling. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I don't trust any politician, including some unknown senator with a weird name from Illinois. So we didn't try to hard sell Obama to young people. We tried to tap into their frustration, show that we got it and he got it. And once we did that, it was only then that we shifted to more of a, a message from uh, Senator Obama to capture that sort of, um, to recognize that frustration and to express hope and, and paint a picture of, of a different way. And I think that was a very unique way. So I guess the biggest 
thing I would say as an answer to your question is we experimented with all sorts of online and offline and social platforms. We experimented with all different ways of storytelling that was very different than ever done before in any campaign. And we had a candidate and a campaign willing to make that experimentation a big part of their effort. So we've had perspective from the people behind the campaigns, but it's time to hear from Stacey Shulman, who is the CMO of Cats Media, a company who represents on-air and online assets of more than 4,000 radio stations and 8,000 TV stations. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you. Very happy to be here. We're going to start with a, a little game. Uh, we like to call this putting you on the audio spot, Ooh. pitting guest against algorithm to see if the human can determine the most effective audio as well as the robot can. You ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. So we're going to play you three political ads, uh, all of which have been assessed against thousands of ads in the Veritonic database. You're going to tell us which you think did the best for likability and authenticity. Okay? Here okay. we go. All right. Bernie Sanders has always been on the side of Michigan workers and working families. Bernie voted for the auto rescue package, and he's the only candidate who's opposed the job-killing trade deals that have crushed manufacturing. But Washington has always had a funny relationship with the truth, so it's not surprising his opponent is out with a new radio ad trying to distort the truth about Bernie's record. The Washington Post spells things out pretty clearly, stating his opponent's campaign, quote, glosses over a lot, including the fact that Sanders is actually on the record of supporting the auto bailout. He even voted for it, unquote. The Post goes further, claiming, quote, it seems like she's willing to take the gamble that fact-checkers may call her out for her tactic, but that voters won't, unquote. Michigan voters deserve better than typical Washington tactics, hoping voters don't figure out what you're up to till it's too late. There's only one candidate who honestly tells it like it is and isn't afraid of standing up for Michigan workers, and that's Bernie Sanders. I'm Bernie Sanders, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Paid for by Bernie 2016. Okay, so um, I would say as a researcher, if I put my research hat on, uh, from a likability and authenticity standpoint, you always have to be considering who the audience is, right? So if we're talking about his supporters, it's probably highly likable and clearly authentic. If you're talking about swing voters who maybe haven't made a decision one way or the other, I think it scores higher on authenticity than it does on likability. Um, mostly because it's a negative ad in many ways, but they're using a lot of sources like the Washington Post uh, to back up their data, which gives it an air of authenticity. Great. Okay, so now we're going to play you clip number two. I'm Donald Trump, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Yes, we live in dangerous times with terrorism unleashed, jobs being lost, and our security threatened. This is your Lieutenant Governor, Henry McMaster, and I'm here for Donald Trump. Right now, we need a strong new leader, a leader with a powerful vision of the true greatness of America, a president we can trust, a president our friends can depend on and our enemies will fear, a president who means what he says and can get the job done. Donald Trump is the one. Donald Trump will stand tall to protect our borders rebuild our economic might, and ignite a new prosperity for all Americans. Yes, our future is bright. Our best days are ahead, but we have to act now. This is Henry McMaster. Please join us 
Join Donald Trump and let's make America great again. Paid for by Donald J. Trump for President Inc. All right, so that was clip number two. Stacy, what do you think on that one? Well, um, just sort of clinically looking at the spot um, and not having a personal opinion about them, you know, I think there are some things I find problematic about it. Um, one is you have a voiceover that um, definitely has an accent, it's a bit of a southern drawl, so it feels authentic for maybe someone from that part of the country, but could be um, also, you know, a voice that puts off people from other parts of the country, and this is a national spot. Trump didn't run any local ads. Um, Hillary Clinton actually did, which is sort of an interesting um other conversation we can have. Um, the other thing is that you have this um, content that, that he's talking about in the beginning of the spot that is about evoking fear about mm. the future of the country. But underneath it, you have this groundswell of music that feels hopeful and about the future. And they're very much in contrast and at odds with each other. So I can imagine that if you're a swing voter and you haven't made a decision about which candidate you're going to go with that you would feel sort of confused by the spot and i don't know that you would feel particularly like it was particularly authentic or likable for that reason right to that end i mean how much do you think uh you know demographics and i know you know in certain pockets you know accents in particular right just not Mm -hmm. just in this ad but an accent in general might be an accent to some people but it's it's the vernacular to others that's right how much do you feel demographics play a part in in ads like this i i think a huge part you know particularly if you're going to pick someone or pick a voice that um is speaking authentically to a very specific subset of the country and if that's your goal then that's great. But if you want to use that spot on a national platform, I think you're going to have a limited response to it. Interesting. Okay, we'll definitely talk more about uh, that kind of stuff later. Let's uh, move on to clip number three. I'm Ted Cruz, and I approve this message. Donald Trump is lying about Ted Cruz. Cruz voted against TPA and is fighting to stop TPP. Cruz stopped the Gang of Eight amnesty bill, while Trump funded the Gang of Eight with $50,000 in campaign contributions. Trump also had a $1 million judgment against him for hiring illegals. And Trump still brings in hundreds of foreign workers to replace Americans. What a phony. Okay, Stacey, what did you think of that one? Okay, classic attack ad, um, chocked full of information. And, you know, here's the thing. I tend to think that people make decisions based on their emotional response more than they make a decision based on rational responses. Hmm. If that weren't true, then people wouldn't be eating McDonald's and smoking cigarettes. You know I mean? Like there's no rational reason for eating that food or, you know, engaging that behavior, but we do it because emotionally we want it. So... You know, I look at an ad like this and I think, okay, there's a lot of information thrown at me, but it's a very clinical voice. In fact, it feels like there's the same guy that does the voiceovers for every political ad. You sort of have to wonder whether you can trust him because maybe he's speaking for both sides. (laughs) I I, I think that there would be a lot more authenticity and likability if the candidates themselves were speaking. That said, you heard the candidate himself speaking at the very beginning of that spot. And... You know, he doesn't have this lulling um, voice. You know, it, it's a voice that, you know, is a little bit um, higher pitched. 
and um, not particularly, um, it doesn't evoke a lot of peace, you know, as you listen to it. So I'm trying to be as kind as I can, but it's not, (laughs) you know, the best radio voice. Let's just, you know, leave it at that. Um, so I can imagine why we didn't use his voice that much in the spot. Okay, so Stacy, of those three spots, which one, if you had to had to guess now, which one do you feel was the best for likability and authenticity? Okay, so first I'm gonna attack authenticity. I think probably the Bernie ad, only because I'm thinking about where the nation's mindset was at the time, and. Um, that sort of groundswell for distrust. Um, plus, he has an everyman kind of a voice as opposed to a disembodied voice that potentially people don't trust. So I, from the authentic scale, I would give it, I would give it to Bernie. Okay. In terms of likability, that's hard. I, I think it's a toss-up between the Bernie spot and the spot with the gentleman with the southern voice. Was that the Trump spot? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, only because, again, that's a, there's a, because that voice is familiar and warm, um, I can see how people would react to it. Okay. All right, great. So we'll find out in the end and uh, looking forward to see what, what comes out there. How did you come to start saying, you know, we want to look further into this. We want to start testing political ads. We want to understand what what makes this work and not work and what makes it effective and not effective. How did you kind of get to that place? Well, it was sort of a two-tiered process. Um, you know, you are in the audio measurement space, and so you know full well that there isn't a lot out there that measures the quality and the capability of audio. Um, unfortunately, even though audio uh, and radio has been around uh, for many years and has survived much change, um, we don't spend a lot of time as advertising practitioners taking the care to create great audio spots the way we used to in the heyday of audio, let's say. Um, There's still great work being done, but um, more often than not, it's not the first priority. Um, the visual media and the digital media have taken over our priorities. And the realization that we're in a world of, you know, five-second attention spans um, has changed the way that we communicate with people with advertising as well. So for us, you know, the first of those two tiers was, you know, what do we know about how audio works to begin with? Um, And the second was uh, opportunistically looking at Um, the political marketplace this year in particular, and knowing because, you know, at CATS we work with television and radio, and I work with both teams, that uh, the television space was getting very, very crowded, um, which is what typically happens, and particularly at this time of year and in very particular markets like in Florida, um, the, the airwaves are pretty much flooded with political. You can't go anywhere without seeing a political TV ad. Um, and eventually, there's, they just run out of space, uh, and you have to go somewhere else. And so, you know, we had really hoped that audio would be, and radio would be the beneficiary of that. And we were very curious to see how radio spots performed um, up against the same sort of spots in television, and would they be as effective? 
Yeah, I think sometimes we think of like a president or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a political candidate is kind of made for TV and like kind of they have to have that. I mean, Ronald Reagan was president. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Um, you look at Donald Trump, who's been on television as well. Like, do you feel that um, the sound of that person, you know, across the ads, you know, does that do you have to have the right sound? You know, does that matter? I think it does matter. And I think we've forgotten that. I mean, let's go back to, um, you know, the Kennedy-Nixon debates on television, which mm. were terrible for Nixon. The next question to Vice President Nixon from Mr. Van Oker. He had, you know, great respect of the nation leading up into that debate. But then when they saw him on camera and they saw how uncomfortable he was, it sort of changed the stakes for him. Well, I would suggest, Mr. Van Oker, that uh, if you know the president, that was probably a facetious remark. Uh, I would also suggest that insofar as his statement is concerned, that I think it would be improper for the President of the United States to disclose... Um, So, uh, you know, in many ways, I think audio can um, be a a gracious medium for political candidates because, you know, you're not out there under the bright lights. Um, On the other hand, you have the opportunity to evoke great emotion because, as you said, it's very intimate. Um, And people will make a decision about your message based on what they hear and the inflection that they hear, despite the fact that we don't use that sense um, 100% of the time anymore because there's so much visual stimuli out there. Nine out of 10 people still listen to audio every Mm -hmm. day. So they still have a relationship with audio and they know how to suss out what's real, what's authentic, what's likable. Radio as, as, a, as a medium, as an advertising medium, it can be very targeted. And then kind of the internet came along and changed the expectation of targeting. Right. You know, and, and you look at digital. In some ways, radio gave that to digital, and now digital is giving it back, or radio is taking it back. What are, they, what are advertisers doing now that are unique to radio from a targeting or advertising standpoint that, that wasn't happening before? Yeah, I think... They are availing themselves of the new tools that are out there. They are looking at how voter files can be mapped to audience data, trying to slice and dice the audience into finer and finer segments. Um, and as I said, you know, the medium itself has always been pretty targeted. For myself, I can tell you, you know, a year ago, I remember before the, or maybe it was two years ago, before the election, the presidential election, I was... I got in my car and I started to drive to work and I there was this talk radio program on and it was a, a different political perspective than my typical political perspective and I remember driving for about 10 minutes going what happened what what what's going on with these people why are they saying these things and then I realized that someone had been driving my car and had changed the radio station and I was furious <laughs> but it does tell you about how in many ways we all um, you know, gravitate to our own sort of echo chambers. And um, radio is great in that if you have a particular perspective that you can develop um, audio creative, advertising creative, political creative to speak to that particular segment because it is um, a sort of a unique um, set audience. Um, and, you know, one of the things that was great about the presidential um, campaign in 2016 is that Um, There were a few candidates that actually did create advertising that was for actual locations. So Hillary Hillary Clinton's campaign in particular would create specific um, ads for specific markets and mention things about those markets, different groups, different locations that made those locations pop for those people. Eager to learn helps others. It's hard not to. 
Hillary Clinton has always put in the work. She stood up for teachers and our kids. Hillary Clinton believes in a high-quality education for every student. She'll work hard every single day to ensure Pennsylvania kids reach their full potential. That's why you have to remember that it's a very crowded um, advertising space out there. And so anything that's going to get your listener to sort of sit up and pay attention because suddenly you're talking about the landfill project that's around the corner that you've been upset about or, you know, some state monument or something that's very unique to you, um, those things make you sit up and listen. Pat's Media's initial research focused on the state of Florida and its hotly contested race for U.S. Senate between Democratic incumbent Bill Nelson and his Republican opponent Rick Scott. Their ads were tested on the Veritonic platform for their ability to emotionally resonate with Florida swing voters and drive candidate preference. Katz was particularly interested in a few key attributes, especially trust. The tests were split between TV ads and the audio-only portion of those ads. Nelson's ad featured him speaking about his dedication to the country. Let's have a listen. From the day I took the oath in the military to when I flew in space to today in the Senate, it's been a privilege to serve our country. I believe a public office is a public trust. You're there to serve the people, not the special interest. Just wake up every day and do what's right. If you know who you're fighting for and you're willing to put the politics aside, you can get a lot done. I'm Bill Nelson and I approve this message. Okay, so how did this spot test and what do you think works about it, Stacy? So, you know, what's interesting about this spot is that um, he's talking about trust, and he's talking about trust at a time when we are distrusting our elected officials, and he's the incumbent senator for in this race. Um, I think the audio spot works particularly well because he has a very soothing, grandfatherly voice. Um, and when we compared it to the TV spot, which is identical, we just stripped the audio track out of the TV ad, um, it actually performed better. Um, so that just goes to prove, A, that radio works, and B, it can work as well as television. And on you know this metric of trustworthiness, um, you can really convey these kinds of ideas without imagery. Okay, great. So let's hear an ad from Nelson's challenger, Rick Scott. Washington's a disaster. It's dysfunctional. This concept of career politicians has got to stop. We're tired of Washington working for them. They need to start working for us. I'm not accepting the same result. We've got to bring new ideas, fresh thinking, and we've got to change the direction of this country. Let's get to work. I'm Rick Scott, and I approve this message. Okay, so... Stacy, how did this one test? And what do you think works and maybe doesn't work about this one? You know, this one tested really well, too. Um, and remember, we're talking about, you know, working in the context of swing voters, not, you know, their particular bases. And I think what works about this is it's upbeat. You have some very upbeat music. It feels like a rally. Um, it has a very clear call to action at the end. Let's get to work. Um, and you, it's 100% voiced by the candidate, right? So, you know, there's very something, something very positive and upbeat about the ad, and I think that's why swing voters um, were 
you know, moved by it. It's interesting you bring up some different points there, the things that we've kind of talked about throughout this conversation around that might be potential best practices in there. Mm -hmm. Voice by the candidate, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, There was sound design that kind of made it feel like you were, you know, there's some theater of the mind there. There's a rally potentially going on. And there was some music that, in a music bed that kind of worked to elevate things a little bit. It's interesting to see how those things uh, can all come together. So you mentioned also that the, you you took audio from TV ads and and then kind of, tested them in, in the context of audio only. Uh, what does that say about politics? Did you notice anything interesting there as, you know, looking at an audio only uh, ad versus versus a visual ad? Yeah, I think what we found is that audio is as effective and sometimes more effective hmm. um, than television ads. And remember, we're not really testing radio ads here yet. We're stripping out the audio from a TV ad. Right. Um, arguably, if you crafted something for radio and you did the appropriate sound design, et cetera, um, you could see even better response than what we did with these few ads that we were testing. You know, Look, nine out of 10 people are listening to radio. It makes sense for any advertiser, including political advertisers, to be using radio. And I think they should feel comfortable to use it. It's not, they're not losing anything. And if anything, they're creating a more intimate relationship with listeners because of that sense of, losing that proximity you know, you're much closer to that voice than you know that a uh, dispassionate uh, idea that you see on the screen great no and there's a lot of potential there i mean i think there's uh like you said there's there's the baseline of of just being there and mm-hmm. then there's if you focus on it more there's there's a lot of upside in the in the audio world yeah we're hoping for more you know we're we're hoping for real crafted radio ads that we can continue to test so that we can get at some of those best practices that you mentioned and be able to come back next year and in the next election cycle and say, "Hey, here's what we know okay, so Stacey, you mentioned that you know radio can be equally as powerful kind of in moving the electorate, really influencing those people and, and mm-hmm. in some ways you know in a political world the the person who's undecided is is the most important person, and do you feel this represents a turning point for kind of the the market at large? Sometimes when you say turning point, it tends to connote that you're turning away from something. Hmm. I don't think we're turning away from other media. I think we're turning back to audio. Um, and we are at on this cusp of an audio renaissance, that audio is becoming a much larger part of how we interact with each other and with technology. You just have to look at smart speakers in the home, um, you have to look at, hey, we're doing this as a podcast. We're not, you know, making a TV show. Um, a lot of people are out there listening. It's it's a great medium for all of us who are multitasking every day because we're still consuming content even though we may be engaged in other things. I think audio generally um, for the all of these reasons is becoming more and more important and that everyone, every advertiser, every political candidate needs to be thinking about how to use audio to their advantage. Fantastic. And, and, and that's a great point. I think the, the idea that like we're sitting here doing this as, as an audio you know, medium ourselves, right? we're doing a podcast when we just as easily you know, could be having cameras in this room. Sure, you just sit in front of your <laughs> screen and turn right. it on, right? But we're, 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 people are choosing that as, as an option, partly because of the saturation that's now come in the visual world. And I think politics is as is, is important as ever uh, from an advertising standpoint. And I think audio is a big differentiator and a big opportunity for campaigns going forward. And 
it's interesting to see how cats and and the data that you're you're getting will play a role in that. We hope to have more of it soon. Yeah, well, you reach a lot of people, so <laughs> <laughs> you know you have to have to be important. That's so, radio. Now back to putting you on the audio spot. The ad with the highest scores was. Was the Bernie Sanders ad. All right. I was half right. Thank you for having me. You know, all of us remember our mothers telling us to think before we speak. And I think there's a lot of truth in that because once it's out there and it's spoken, people will have a reaction to it. So um, it might as well be well-crafted. Thank you so much, Stacey. Appreciate it. You've been listening to a podcast production of AW360, the year-round content destination from Advertising Week. Visit AW360 at 360.advertisingweek.com and be sure to check out the other AW360 podcasts now available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Producers on this podcast are Richard Larson and Jack Hirschman with music provided by Audio Network. For more information on Advertising Week, the world's largest gathering of advertising, marketing, and technology leaders, now in five markets around the globe, visit www.advertisingweek.com. Mm-hmm.